Good morning, Vernon. Good morning, Devin. Good morning. So the Phillies are three and zero. What do you think their chances of them going one hundred and sixty two and zero are? Uh, highly unlikely. Um, <laughs> but I am excited for them to be three and zero. You know, um, yeah, they usually get out of the gate pretty strong every year. Uh, the last, or let me say, the last couple of years, and then it kind of fizzles down the stretch. Uh, but this year, there's some hope. There, there is some hope. They, I think they can fill the quality team, and then we'll just see. A lot of things can happen as baseball. Well, they have some, they have some sticks. They're going to be able to hit, hit the baseball a lot this year. Um, but uh, and they have some starting pitching. They don't have any depth at starting pitching. So if somebody gets hurt, that's going to be real troublesome. But uh, they don't have much of a bullpen. Uh, it's I mean, better than last year. But it's, I know, guess. Slightly. It's slightly well, better than well, last the, year. The guys that are in the bullpen, they throw hard this year. They didn't throw they, they didn't throw hard, and they didn't know where it was going last year. And this year, they throw hard, and they don't know where it's going. So, yes, true. Uh, Although, they improved. It throws hard. That's good. That's true. And and we'll see what Hector does, man. We'll see what Naris does. Can You know? Maybe Girardi and uh, in the staff can kind of figure something out with this kid, and 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 maybe he's the answer. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. You know, it's a baseball is a funny sport, especially with bullpens because they, yeah. you know, that they, they're like they're year to year. They're, oh, occasionally yeah. you get a guy that's good for a long period of time. Uh, obviously, the Mariano Rivera's. Yeah. Papelbon had a good stretch. Papelbon had yeah. a good stretch. Even Lidge. Guys. Remember Lidge? Lidge went, what, 45 for 45? And then the next year, he just had the yips. He couldn't get it done. It was like you, you had to hold your breath. At, you know, you went in the World Series. He was incredible. I think the next year he was pretty good. And then I think that was that third season. Where he was just the Phillies were winning, but I mean, uh, uh, the, the, you know, Cliff Lee and and Holiday and those guys had to. They were going like you know, closing every game. They were going like you know, almost nine innings every night. Those guys and uh, with Lidge blew a, a a good bit that year. Still was yeah. probably decent. Well, Lidge is you know he's an all time closer, but also you know he he was at. He was in Philly for the end of his career, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that that he he did hit the wall there in Philly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He got the World Series. That's what counts. Absolutely. Yep. So uh, chapter five of the book. What'd you think, man? Uh, I thought it was it was it was a big chunk of the uh, book. Chapter six. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Chapter six. It was a big chunk of the book. So for those who who are you know going to read it after listening to this episode. It's it's a good you know chunk of the book, um, and it's it's a fascinating part of the book. It, it's they get into analytics really heavy, and um, there were some good things that I took out of it. Like I really like the idea of you know where we are now versus in analytics in t- in terms of sports versus where we were in two thousand and nine when uh, these guy these two guys who the chapter is about. Uh, introduced the you know analytics and data I guess just like data and information to sports and that they were able to put together you know numbers and equations and analytics whatever you would call it, algorithms uh, to track pretty much everything and how that impacts sports today yeah it was interesting to hear him like compare and contrast right because they're they're talking about how like you know on the one hand that they, 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 he tells this story and it 
doesn't make sense immediately why he's like talking about like the growth of analytics. And then he's also telling this story about this Swedish dude who saved a whole bunch of Hungarian Jews in World War II, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it like doesn't make sense. And then as he, the story goes on, he's like, the more data we started getting and the more ability to process that data that we started getting, we get we finally are able to see things that we didn't know were there, right? Mm. Like, or, or that we couldn't see in the data. We started to find when there wasn't something in the data that that might mean we need more data around that. And it was like, it was a very interesting sort of like compare and control. And I never heard of that guy either. And he, he was a hero saved like a whole yeah. bunch of people. So that yeah. was cool. Yeah, it said like a million lives or something like that that he saved. You, yeah. you, know, you know what's crazy? And it just hit me literally as you made that statement. Like people forget that like even forensic science is analytics. Like, all of this stuff is just data. All of this stuff is just information. Like, do you like, imagine the amount of serial killers, right? I'm, I'm way left right here, right? <laughs> but, like, uh, you know, that, that type of stuff fascinates me. The 70s, right? Think of the 70s. 70s was a wild time. Like, the amount of people who were found guilty for crimes that they did not do. The amount of false information because there was very little information. And it was basically like they were, cases were being, you know, <laughs> like solved based on he said, she said. And like, there were like things like fabric uh, uh, from, you know, like fabric um, forensics or whatever, where it was basically like if you had like a certain type of shirt on and, and you wore that same shirt, which there was like a million of them. And they found you and you kind of looked like the person and you had a shirt that was similar fabric to what was left at the scene. Like you were guilty. Like there, there's so much back in the 70s because the, the information and the data was very little that like everything was just basically a guess. And what clicked for me when you just said it is that the more information that you get with anything, the more accurate you'll be able to be at getting the correct answer. So when they talk about the Swedish hero, you know, like they couldn't, they, they had no idea if he was possibly uh, in a uh, Soviet Union prison or not. But once they were able to get the more and more information they were able to get, the more accurate their, their ability to pinpoint where he was during that time became. And it's just like, man, what we say all the time, Devin, information is key. It really is, and like, and you're listening to this, and they're, you know, so they're talking about, uh, you know, he t- obviously ties it together with basketball, and he's like, you know, the difference between, uh, and the direct example that, I, that sticks out for me is that when people get hot, when people like, you know, get that heat check pass, and somebody's like, oh yeah, take it, see if you got it, they start taking riskier and riskier shots mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they feel like they're hot, and so what you know, what might look like uh, a streak is actually like so some, somebody makes three or four shots in a row, right? Are they on fire? I guess kind of comes to that question. And the interesting thing is that they, they go away from the comfort zone, right? So they, they take a shot from a step further out or, you know, a more contested shot or a more difficult shot or something like that. And so, you know, I, I take that kind of information in and I think like, well, you know, when you're when you're taking a difficult shot, like what if you got on fire and you started trying to take better shots? Like <laughs> what if you try to lean into the being like, oh, I'm on fire. Let's 
build towards that because now my shooting percentage is up by one percent or two percent or three percent you know and and like that like that was kind of my big takeaway from the from the chapters it's like people people take more risks when they're hot and i wonder if that's the way you want to do it or if you want to take fewer risks yeah that's a good point you you know what they call it that's you know that's calling on anything in life you know basically when i you know for me growing up was you know the number one thing that someone would say once you start having success it's like oh you feeling yourself you know like if you're playing basketball and you start you know you make two layups and then now you're like crossing over step back threes like oh are right, you feeling yourself right now you know what i mean same thing with you got your fresh outfit on and you know you easter sundays down you know now you're like you you step into the the baddest girl in the room and your boys is oh he feeling himself right now. <laughs> it's just you know success breeds that. When you have success, it, it 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 breeds that. And it's an interesting question that you pose. Should when you have success, should you continue to be conservative and build upon those small you know wins that you were able to achieve to get that string of success? Or do you bet? Yeah, do you bet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or do you bet the house? Like, like, I, I don't know. That's I think that's in a nutshell where this book's conundrum is. There's no the, the data is not conclusive to a right or wrong answer. There. How cool is it that like you know that we both grew up in an era where there was you know true shooting didn't exist. Right. And, mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, how hard the ball was hit off the bat was not measured. Right. Like these weren't these weren't stats that people were keeping. And that's what we grew up in. And now we're in a whole new era where all these things are measured. And there's still a ton of mystery about like what is the correct choice to make around that. Yeah. Well, think about I'll, I'll give you a player. If Russell Westbrook would be would would be celebrated in the same way as Allen Iverson if he played his basketball through the 90s and the early 2000s prior to all of this he would be he, he might be he might be celebrated more than Allen Iverson yeah, he, might, he, he might he might be the greatest player of the generation yes but cuz now we have information it, it's like Allen Iverson like if you if you ever and, and listen I love AI man love him but if you actually start to uncover and dig through his career, you kind of notice that he had one like really amazing year, which led him to the NBA, got him, I mean, MVP, got him to the finals, you know, and it was a tremendous year. But when you really look back at that era, he pretty much had a very similar path as uh, Russell Westbrook, where like, majority of the rest of his career outside of the MVP year was pretty much just like, oh, okay, that was nice. You know, he made it out of the second round like twice in his whole career, and he made it to the finals once. It's really not that decorative. Yeah, he took he took a lot of bad shots, man, but he yeah. took a lot of amazing shots too. I mean, I you know, I'm always yeah, it's hard. all on the side of loving yeah, loving it's AI, but also <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, but also yeah, he took a he took a lot of hard shots. It would have been nice to see him you know, double down uh, on what he was great at and also be surrounded with a team that wasn't, yeah. you know. Yeah, but then it like was a- Aaron McKee was the best player he played with for a, Often, like a yeah, hot in terms minute. Of, 
terms of offensively, yes, yes. Um, but, but what would be interesting to see is like, you know, he was just not the shooter that like Steph Curry was. Even Kyrie Irving, he's he's not the shooter that Kyrie Irving was is today. So it's it's interesting. I would love to know what he would be in today's NBA. Allen, you know, yeah, yeah. No, Allen, Allen would Allen would shoot the lights out if he. So if he was a kid right now, he would he would have just focused on shooting. You know, I mean, that's it, a good he, point. That's a good he, point. He grew up watching a different game, and as that's things true. change, we see these like different evolutions of that's true of stuff, right? So he grew up watching, you know, ISO, get to the hole, attack the rim, yeah. get to the hole ball, and so then he played that, and he played it with you know his own flair and his own, and then Steph comes in watching a guy like AI, and he's got handles, but he's like, I don't want to. Tech go to the, the hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and know, then, the shots it, that are memorable by AI, none of them are him going to the hole. Yeah, there's the step well, back. Uh, not, pull not, up, one of, man, not none of them. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's, it's the crossover step back. It, you know, when you think AI, you think of crossing over Jordan, yeah. stepping into the left hand, pulling up. Over with the, yeah, stepping over Tyron. Stepping over Tyron Lou, crossover, <laughs> step over. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And that's something to always remember when you're talking about greatness. Greatness travels, man. Greatness yeah. will be great in every era. So you're 100 percent right. And time evolves, right? Things change. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. we're we're you know in, in the in the process is black and white like team here. We're seeing a little evolution as well, right? As your your wife's getting, I, I would say she's gone from you know interested and curious and learning about to very serious about this sort of like drop style bakery business. Um, you yeah. Talk talk a little bit about that. Yeah. It, you know what? It, having a front row seat. And, and being a partner in this, um, it's a really interesting concept. Um, it's something that I think if anybody's out there thinking about, like, you know, starting their business, they're Jeremy Grant, right? Like, it is the perfect ideal uh, Jeremy Grant um, type of business, right? For those who, you know, follow and, and you know, can catch on to what that means. Um, for us as podcast is black and white. It's basically a way for you to start a business, right? And you pretty much start at a scale that is, you know, f- comfortable for you. And that's what the drop business allows. So let's just, you know, talk about my wife. My wife, basically, she's a baker. And she went to, that's her craft. She went to school for it. You know, she she really has honed her skills over the years. And it's her passion. Um, and she's also trained you know, technically trained to bake. Um, so what she decided was, hey, why don't I make, I think her first one was these cinnamon rolls that she was making. Yep. And she was like, I'm going to make cinnamon rolls and I think I'm going to make like 15 of them. And I'm basically going to go on the social media and I'm going to say, if anybody wants cinnamon rolls, uh, here's my information, call me and I'm selling them, you know, X amount of dollars for four cinnamon rolls. But I only have 15. If you want them, call me first come, first serve, send your money, and that's how you secure your spot in line to get one of these cinnamon rolls. And then we'll do delivery on the day, you know, on that Saturday, we'll deliver all the cinnamon rolls. And it was just something based around the cookie uh, podcast Uh, that you said. Yeah, remember? Remember? It was the cookie podcast where it was the brother and the sister. The brother was a tech dude who that's what he did for a living. And the sister was, 
I don't even think she was like a baker. She was basically just like um, 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 his sister who loved baking cookies. And they decided to sell those cookies to like their small community. And they sell like sold hot and ready cookies where he built a little algorithm so people can buy their cookies, get them in like 15 minutes, nice and hot. And so that inspired her. So she went ahead with the cinnamon rolls and did that 15 of them and all 15 sold. And from there, it was like, oh, this is interesting. You get to control your strength. You know, you get to kind of guarantee yourself a profit um, and you get to control the level of stress or pressure that comes on you if you don't have kind of like a big kitchen or staff and stuff like that. And uh, she ended up the first time around, I think she spun like uh, maybe a a hundred bucks total for everything to do these cinnamon rolls, 120, something like that. And uh, she basically bought back like almost 500 bucks of profit off of those cinnamon rolls and from there it just took off right so it's it's essentially the entire business model around is built around these like feature drops on social media so you have a skill you have you have something that you're good at that you can mm-hmm. do well so whether it's baking or whatever it is right you mm-hmm. have to have that part down yes or a product or a product that you or can, a, pro- a product yeah. that's unique that, that, that's, that you can have so you have to have something that's that's worth it Mm-hmm. But if you have that value, rather than look to, all right, well, I'm going to build a storefront and I'm going to do this and I'm looking for $65,000 and blah, blah, blah. Like you can figure out, all right, well, how can I sell five of these? Exactly. It's, it seems like a really great way to like test the market. It, you know, going back to that traction situation where she can like, she can get that data by being like, okay, cinnamon rolls sold this fast and pies sold this fast. Mm-hmm. Holidays did this. And random Saturdays did, you know what I mean? Like, is that what she's doing? And that's exactly what she's doing. So she went on the pies, and when she did pies, she upped it. She said, all right, I'll do 25 pies. And she sold all 25 of those pies. And then, you know, she realized, like, oh, man, okay. So Christmas came around. She was like, let's not do pies. We'll do cakes. So she did 25 cakes. And each time she she set out a number, and she's hit her goal pretty much every time. So when Easter came around, she moved on to tarts, you know, and in a in a pound cake and like a seven up cake, like more, you know, and the idea is that absolutely she's doing these things on weekends when families are gathering um, holidays. So the idea is that like, all right, we're not trying to sell this person a cake that they're going to eat all by themselves because like, yeah, that's a bit much like people don't want it. That's dangerous. Just having like desserts and cakes just in your home at all times but she's found this niche where on sundays or weekends like people go to grandma's house and i don't know about your grandma's house but coming up like a lot of grandparents like just have like pastries sitting on the table you know like just like there and just as people come in and out they get to try and that's kind of like the concept that's how she grew up so when she had this business structure that was the her thought processes I'm going to attack people for weekends as they go to brunches, gatherings, around family, and then they get an opportunity to enjoy a pie from me or a cake or whatever. So the goal here, if I'm understanding, is that we're going to we're going to take uh, these little data points and start kind of building on it each time, figuring out where we're going to head. And then rather than having to jump directly into having a bakery, 
um, that's you know on Main Street or whatever. You're going to be able to experiment, see what works, build up that data, build up that audience, that crowd, collect those emails, have that you know like conversational social media situation going, and then grow that into something that you know maybe it's a maybe it's a storefront, maybe it's just renting a kitchen, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's so this point where we are now is two parts. There's she's honing her skills and gathering information, right? What does the customer want? Who is her customer? She's building her audience, but at the same time, she's she's branding and building a brand for herself. You know what I mean? Like people are starting to know, like, oh yeah, that's that's the lady who is doing the cakes every every month. She does the drop around this time, so. You know, it, it's twofold for her. It's really something that it's allowing her to really figure out what her audience is. And then she gets to brand her, you know, business structure so that, like you said, when it's time to take the next step, there's already information there. We know that, okay, we can bank on once a month. We know once a month, every month on Saturday or Sunday, we can sell X amount of this. And, and and we can go into whatever that next step is already knowing that like that's pretty much money in the bank. We can be confident that come Thanksgiving, we're going to sell X amount of pies and they're going lots, to sell. Yeah, there's lots of angles that I'm interested in there, right? Like I'm curious, like, okay, so what is the correct marketing strategy? Is it to just keep these very tight seasonal drops or is it to add in, you know, these sort of more weekly Mm-hmm. very small light drops um, or bi-weekly, you know, like, like kind of different, but regular, like in the cookie, he only made like one kind of cookie she, or she only made one kind of cookie, right. For like the longest time. And then she started mm-hmm. adding a second cookie and a third cookie. So I'm wondering whether like that's the model or I'm wondering, is it like, maybe she just does these like family drops, but then she figures out how to get into businesses. Right. Yes. Yeah. Businesses like, well, I mean, we don't go to offices anymore, but like my office used to have, you know, treats once a week. Like how, how do you replace the treats once a week that are Dunkin' Donuts or whatever with Ash's Donuts, right? Like, yeah. You, so, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's very, there's a lot of directions. Yeah. So it, sound, it sounds interesting. Yeah. Well, you're, you, and you hit it right on the head. So there's like, so as we look at our, our uh, growth and how we want to scale up, right, is we have mul- multiple areas. So like the true customer is the customer that's been, you know, kind of going through this first step, which is basically like we're we're doing holiday drops right now, you know, and, and even when we do them in months where they're not like big gathering holidays, it still feels like like the drop itself is like a holiday. You know what I mean? Like there's this excitement about like it's great when it lines up on Thanksgiving, but also it's. April and you know Easter has passed which we you know it's kind of like March was really Easter so like at the end of April we're gonna have to create our own excitement with this drop you know what I mean and that is what we're looking forward to is now the drops themselves almost become like holidays themselves so that's that that angle which is drops and holidays right and then like you said the other growth area is she has this great idea where now we're not selling whole pies. Now she's creating small desserts that, you know, like maybe like one or two people can enjoy. But it's almost like a sample platter of desserts where she can do that weekly, where it's kind of like 
this is her weekly box. And maybe it's desserts, maybe it's breads, maybe it's savories, maybe it's, you know what I mean? But that's sure. like another concept that she's thinking about is that how do we turn this into a weekly thing so that people aren't having to eat, you know, like, like it, they, to have cake every week would be crazy. So right. how do we how do we turn it into something where it's health conscious, it's finger foods, it's small, it's not something where you're feeling like when you buy this box you're buying two thousand calories. Like right. no, nah, you're you're gonna buy you know four hundred calories, and there's gonna be you know like six different things in there for you to nibble on or share with others, and you could split a box with a friend, but it'll be not so heavy. Is sure. is the goal, and then. The last leg is how do we get into commercial spaces? How do we push to businesses, offices, like those, that line of people? And that that's the kind of the third leg. So there's holidays. There's the weekly excitement that we want to create a weekly product. And then there's how do we push all of that and funnel all of that through these businesses out here that are looking to do stuff for their employees. Dude, how much interesting stuff do we have going on right now? This is, this is great. This is awesome. Yeah. So, uh, what, do you, what do you got for this week? Uh, so, this week, we are pivoting. 2400, the movement, has had a, a, a pretty sharp pivot here. Uh, I'll, I'll we'll break it down on next week's episode. So, next Tuesday, you'll hear it. Um, and we'll actually do a deep dive into what the, pivot, what the pivot is. But, as far as an actual time, uh, this week, we're actually... I'm, I'm, we're working, we're focusing on the pivot. So I'm, you know, 100% of my week will be focused on this big pivot pivot that we've had with 2400 The Movement. So I'm excited about that. Can't wait to talk about it with you guys and uh, let you in on what that pivot is and we'll dive deep into it. We talked a little bit about it already, but we'll dive in deep. Good. Nice. For me, man, it's, uh, you know, more of this working with Sarah stuff. Like, you know, it's awesome to see somebody uh, learn and you know, we, we, we ended up having to re-record the show this week. Um, but the the first time we recorded the show, we talked about how, like, there's a lot of these new opportunities that are out there. Like, you know, maybe you're interested in, and for podcasting, maybe you're interested in audio editing, so you can do audio editing for podcasts. Or maybe you're interested in video editing, and you can get into video editing for YouTubers and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of new roles and jobs out there. And that's essentially what Sarah's doing, right? She's like, I'm just going to figure out how to be a software engineer and go to school for that. Uh, and it's a, it's really cool to get to see, you know, your person, your partner, uh, make a, a pivot in their own personal life. Um, and to be in the rare circumstance where like you can actually help because in your search, right. When Ash was like, I'm going to learn to bake. You were like, all right, I'll eat the food. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, you were on the team, but you know, you weren't able to actually help. And in That's this context, true. I'm able to actually help. And it's it's real interesting. And, and uh, yeah, it's been real satisfying. So, yeah, that's that's going to be more what I got going on this week, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, as usual, guys, check us out first and foremost at theprocessisblackandwhite.com. We got all the episodes uploaded there. Uh, and every Tuesday we drop on all your social media, on all your uh, podcast platforms all your major podcast platforms we drop every tuesday 5 p.m and then follow us on twitter at the process underscore is follow us also on instagram at the process under and at the process underscore is twitter is at process underscore is and then 
Also follow us on Facebook at The Process is Black and White. Um, have any trouble with any of that, understanding it, just search The Process is Black and White. We're the only ones out there. It should populate. All right. Talk to you guys next week. Yep.